I want to share a word with you this morning. I'm starting a new series, and this series is entitled, We Walk by Faith and Not by Sight. You know, I was thinking of the fact, and I'm sure most of you have noticed this, when you watch movies from the early 1920s, you could tell that the actors are sticking to the lines verbatim, and uh, their, um, their, their part or their conversation comes out a little bit stiff, a little bit, um, well, as if it's not their own words. And so you'll hear an actor in some of those old black and white movies, as good as they were, they were great, uh, but you watch some of those old movies and you hear a staccato uh, verse of, of, of lines that goes something like this here. But wait, when we get to the end of the road, we will have the mountain in front of us and we will conquer the mountain. Whereas today, when you watch TV, there's a, a much more natural approach to how they recite their lines. And uh, I know when I was um, in school, I was taught when you forget your lines, remember the plot. And sometimes we can forget our lines, but if you remember the plot, you can ad lib. And so today, when you watch a movie, if an actor forgets his lines, he goes, hey, dude, what are you worried about? When we get to the end of that, the road, we're going to turn right, and we're still going to conquer that mountain. And there's more of a, a, a natural flow. My message this morning is this. When you don't remember your lines, remember the plot. I want to share a story that took place in the New Testament, Luke writes about it on two different occasions, and Mark writes about it as well. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to die. He told them this on a number of occasions. But they were so convinced of a plot of a Messiah that was going to come and live for eternity that they could not conceive of a Messiah who would die physically, rise again from the dead, and then go on and rule for eternity. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 44, Jesus said, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. We have a similar thing in Luke chapter 18. This is the second time in the gospel of Luke. In verse 31 to 34, Jesus took the twelve aside and he said this to them. We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The amazing thing is that in verse 34, Luke very honestly writes these words and says, the disciples did, still did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. I find it very interesting that in this second passage of Scripture, Jesus gives them even more details. He doesn't just say the Son of Man's going to be handed over uh, and, and, and delivered into the hands of other men. This time he went as far as to say he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock him. They're going to insult him. They're going to flog him. And they're going to kill him. But he will rise again. 
and they still didn't understand. I think the reason why they didn't understand was that they never really took hold of the plot. They had their own plot. They had their own vision. They had their own agenda. And that was an agenda, a vision, a plot that would see the son of David come and overthrow the Roman Empire and raise up Israel to be the greatest nation. And then the nations of the world would come to the holy Jerusalem and to the mountain of the Lord and be taught his ways. And without a question, the Bible says those things will happen in terms of the nations of the world will come to the mountain of the Lord and be taught his ways. But somewhere in between, they didn't understand the plot of God that before he would be king, he would be savior and he would be the lamb of God who died on the cross so that he could take our place for all of our wrongdoing so that we could take his place and live again with him and rule and reign. On the eve that Jesus was handed over to the temple guards, Peter pulled his sword and was ready to take action. We see in one account that he literally sliced off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus stooped down and took that ear, even the ear of an enemy, and he healed it and put it back in place. When, P when Peter saw Jesus being dragged off, a young handmaiden said, I recognize you. Weren't you one of his disciples? And just like Jesus had prophesied, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me three times. And Peter denied him. He lost the plot. He didn't understand how this was all going to pan out. After Jesus was crucified and they buried him, none of this lined up with their eschatological uh, uh, belief system. Their doctrine on end times and their doctrine on the Messiahship of Christ was all messed up. And sometimes we look at the prophecies regarding the end of the world and we start to wonder, how is this really going to pan out? When circumstances took a turn they didn't see coming, they lost the plot. And after they buried Jesus, Peter left the ministry, discouraged, despondent. He went back to his family business and he picked up his fishing nets again. And he went back to the rowboats, the sailboats, and he started to throw his net out once again until some days later they heard what they could not imagine they heard what they could not see in their mind's eye and they heard what they had never believed that he had risen from the dead three days later amen When Jesus was crucified and then buried, they lost the plot and lost their way. I want to ask you a question, a very honest question, a question I've even been asking myself. The Bible says to test yourself and make sure that you're in the faith. And the question is this, when you lose the plot, will you lose your way? I think we need to remember what the plot is. What's God's plot for your life? There are so many different views and opinions on how this world will come to an end. And you could have your time charts and be absolutely convinced of what's going to happen. Whether we go through the tribulation or we're raptured before the tribulation or we go halfway through the tribulation. Whether Jesus will come before this happens 
or whether Jesus will come after that happens. And we look at situations and we look at circumstances and sometimes it's easy to forget that God has a plot. And I want to I want to say the title again when you don't remember your lines remember the plot because if you remember the plot it'll bring you back to where you're supposed to be. When you remember the gist of the story and how it's going to end it'll bring you back to where you should be and that place is a place of faith. You know amen. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, I feel like this is a very relevant passage of Scripture to all of you, to everyone. Those of you in the parking lot, those of you at home, and those of you tuning in from other nations. In Matthew chapter 6, in a time like this, this is what Jesus would say. He starts with verse 25, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink. Don't worry about your body and what you're going to put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but if you look at the headlines of the news media, the whole world is in an economic crisis and the whole world's facing a pandemic. But I've never noticed the word, the birds in the air to be too worried about it. While all of America and all the nations of the world are in a quandary, there's arguing, there's division, there's fear, there's concern. The birds of the air fly as if they have no knowledge of it. Because they don't. They're flying above the circumstances that you and I are walking through. They live in the same atmosphere. They live in the same world. But they are not phased by what's happening. And Jesus very clearly says, you're more important to God than the birds of the air. Jesus made it absolutely clear that God puts a greater value and importance on each and every one of you. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor do they reap. They don't open up their shops. They don't go to work. They don't plant grain so that they'll have food tomorrow. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father will feed them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature or add one day to his life? So why do you worry about life? Why do you worry about clothing? And then Jesus goes on and he says, what about the lilies of the field and how they grow? Have you looked at any flowers lately? In the midst of everything that's going on, the flowers are just as radiant as they've ever been. They're as rosy, they're as pink, they're as bright, they're as yellow. They still smell wonderful. And Jesus said, <clears throat> look at the lilies in the field and how they grow. They don't toil or spin Yet I say to you that Solomon in all of his glory, with all of his money, with all of his wealth, couldn't dress as beautifully and as magnificently as the flowers that God had created. He said, 
If God will clothe the grass of the field which is here today and gone tomorrow, and tomorrow it's burned up, how much more he'll clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. It's in times of adversity that sometimes we forget our lines. It's okay to forget your lines, but you've got to remember the plot. It's in times of crisis that sometimes we stumble and we don't always say quite the right thing. That's okay, as long as you remember how the story ends. People ask me, where do you think we are in the book of Revelations? I don't know where we are in the book of Revelations, but I know that I am still in his hands. I don't know where we are in the grand scheme of end time events, but I know that I'm still covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we are still covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, then God's covenant to save us hasn't come to an abrupt end. God's covenant to look after us hasn't been ripped up. I want to tell you that the world could go through an economic crisis, but God has written in blood a covenant, a guarantee that has his name on it, and it has your name on it, and he's going to take care of us all the way to the end. Jesus went on to say, so don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat, or what are we going to drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things are the things that the Gentile world runs after. But your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Listen, some of you might have businesses. Some of you might have good paying jobs. Some of you are just blessed to have a job. It's so easy to look at the circumstances of the situation and to get caught up in the technicalities, to get caught up in the politics, to get caught up in the fear, to get caught up in the speculation to get caught up in the conspiracy theories. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if this theory was right or this theory was right. What is always right are the words of Jesus Christ. I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. Amen. Nothing has changed. The thief still comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Why should coronavirus or anything else take us by surprise? Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 10. The thief, the enemy of humanity, will always come to steal, to kill, and to bring utter destruction that part of the plot hasn't changed. But nor has the second half of the plot where Jesus said, but I have come that you, every one of you, if you believe in his name, if you've accepted him as your Lord and as your Savior, Jesus categorically said, just like the enemy doesn't stop being the enemy, I won't stop being your savior, your healer, your deliverer, your protector, your God. Jesus made a lot of bold statements. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. And in crisis moments like this, 
in dark, gloomy, depressing situations like this, if we hold his hand, we are holding the hand of the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> I appreciate you agreeing with the Word of God today. You're not agreeing with me. You're agreeing with the Word of God. Amen. I love this line where Jesus says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He was talking about clothing. He was talking about food. He was talking about dwelling place. And I love the fact that Jesus presents the picture of God that is very down to earth. The things of God are not just spiritual, they're natural too. Out of the spiritual, God created the trees. Out of the spiritual, God created the mountains. Out of the spiritual, God created the rivers and the lakes and the ocean. Out of the spiritual, God created every idyllic uh, location, every paradise, and every beautiful thing known to man. And so he is the God of the supernatural. He is the God of spiritual things, but he's also the God of natural things. And I love the fact that Jesus reminds us, your father knows that you have need of these things. He knows that at the end of this, you need a job. He knows that at the end of this, you need to put food on your table. He knows that at the end of this, somehow, you've got to pay your rent or pay your mortgage. Listen to me, church. Last week I preached on the message of faith. It was the fifth thing that rends the heavens. What will turn the darkness that has been orchestrated by the hand of the enemy? What will circumvent the breath of death from coming on the face of the earth? What will roll away the tombstone I want to tell you that it is still that unwavering faith that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know how things are going to pan out. People ask me, do you think things will ever go back to normal? I hope so, but normal wasn't that fantastic anyway. <laughs> the question is, what is your normal? Because sometimes we accept the security of the world as normal when our security needs to be God, and that needs to be our new normal. I hear it in the news. I read it on the internet. And I hear it in people's conversations. And they talk about the new norm after this. Well, maybe this is a wake-up call for the church of Jesus Christ. And maybe each and every one of us need to step into a new norm. Maybe we've become too confident in the abilities of the United States of America. Maybe we become too confident in the economy of this nation. Maybe we become too confident in the resilience of mankind to always come back with an answer. Maybe our new norm in the midst of all of this and after this should be that more than ever, we don't put our trust in governments. We don't put our trust in presidents. We don't put our trust in nations. 
but that we put our trust first and foremost squarely on the Word of God and on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Not for a minute am I preaching an anti-government message. Please understand, we live in a day where people want to twist everything you say. I'm not anti the government. I'm not anti America. But I've come to realize that my hope started in Jesus Christ and my hope has to end in Jesus Christ. And so when I say that our trust isn't in the government or in presidents or in the nations of the world, ultimately what we are saying is our ultimate trust and the details of our lives are held in God's hands. Can I get an agreement this morning? Your heavenly Father knows that you need a job. Your heavenly Father knows that you need to feed your kids. Your heavenly Father knows that you gotta make payments. Your heavenly Father knows that there are just some natural things that need to be attended to. But I wanna remind you that the God of the supernatural is the God who created the natural. And so the God of the supernatural is not just concerned about spiritual things. He's concerned about your everyday life. He's concerned about your home. He's concerned about your family. He's concerned about your children. And I think to that, every one of us can give him a great big thank you and a wave of confidence. So if you ever took play uh, acting in school, I never did, I never did drama, but if you ever took drama in school, you'd know that they teach you, if you forget your lines, remember the plot, because the plot will bring you back to what you're supposed to say. And I want to tell you today, if you don't remember your lines in the middle of a hurricane, in the middle of a tornado, in the middle of a pandemic, remember the plot. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Amen. He doesn't just save us spiritually. He will save us on every level. He knows how to take care of his own. While you're in your car and as we head towards the close of this service this morning, I want to very importantly get you involved in part of this sermon. Because the best sermon is the sermon that you can preach. The best sermon is the sermon that you can put into practice. The best sermon is the sermon that you can live. And so I want to give you a sermon that you can live. You see, when you don't remember your lines, you got to remember the plot. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, this is what God says. Fear not, for I am with you. I want to break that up for a minute. Fear not, for I am. Don't forget, his name is I am that I am. He's not the God who was. When God says I am that I am, it means everything that he did in the past, he is today and he will do it today. He's not the God who's gonna be He's the God who right now will be your shelter in the time of a storm. 
In Isaiah 41, God's word to us today is this. Fear not. Don't get anxious. Don't get paranoid. Don't get caught up in con the conspiracies of life. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. It doesn't matter. They say, remember the golden rule. The person with the gold makes the rules. I want to tell you something. I don't care who the richest families of the world are. They don't dictate your life, and they don't dictate your future, and they don't dictate your destiny. Sometimes in speculating about the end of the world, we think about the wealthiest families who have the most control and how the, the Bible hints at the fact that one day there'll be a one world government. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how it pans out because nothing changes that God is our God. And nothing can override the power of our God. He goes on and he says, I will strengthen you. Yeah. Sometimes in times like this, we need to be strengthened. Yes. Sometimes in times like this, our faith melts. And it becomes a pool of water that evaporates. Sometimes the, the helium in the balloon seeps out and the balloon becomes deflated and it falls back to the ground. I love the fact that God doesn't just say, fear not. I am that I am and I am your God. I love the fact that he also says, I will strengthen you. What that tells me is God understands the nature of humanity. And sometimes what we see gets the better of us. God understands that. He understands that sometimes when we hear rumors of war, it gets the better of us. Sometimes when we hear the news of devastation, it gets the better of us. And so in the middle of God saying, don't be afraid, don't panic, don't be paranoid, he also says, I will strengthen you. I wish I could say that my faith was 100%, 100% of the time. I'd be a liar if I said that. I've seen great miracles happen. I've seen God move in amazing ways. But just like the early disciples, occasionally I get knocked off my perch. I love the fact that if I forget my lines, all I need to do is remember the plot. And the plot is God is in control and God has you in his hand. Amen. He goes on to say, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Even in times of weakness, God understands how we're made. He understands the humanity of us. And he says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. It's not your perfect faith that'll get you through every time. It's God's perfect faithfulness that will get us through every time. Yeah. 
So I want you to do this because I want you to be part of this sermon. Just as we uh, get ready to close here this morning, I want you to take this with you. I want you to repeat these words after me. Fear not. Right now, in your living room, in your car, wherever you are, repeat after me. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Don't be worried. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Come on, say that to yourself. I will strengthen you. God will strengthen me. Come on, say it. God will strengthen me. And yes, God will help me. Go on, say it. If someone's sitting in the car next to you, turn to them and say it. If someone's sitting on the couch next to you, turn to them and say it. Say, yes, God will help me. Come on, get in their face and preach. Yes, God will will help me. God will uphold you. God will uphold me. Come on, say it. God will uphold me. Raise your hand and cup your hand as if you're holding something because God is holding you. And say it. God will uphold me. You know why it says uphold? Because he's going to lift you above the circumstances. It says uphold because he has seated you in heavenly places far above every principality and above every power of darkness. He has lifted you above every name that can be named, whether it's corona or whether it's death or whether it's hunger, or whether it's economic crisis, God will uphold me. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 43. Two chapters later, God goes on affirming who He is and who we are to Him. It's one thing to know who God is, but it's equally important to know who we are to Him. He could be the greatest power in the universe, but if you're nothing to Him, then His power is nothing to you. Who are you to Him is a very important answer. In Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 3, God says, But now, says the Lord, the Lord who created you, the Lord who formed you, fear not, I have redeemed you. When you forget your lines, remember the plot. He saved you. He redeemed you. If he was willing to die on that cross to save you from your own mistakes, then won't he step into the situation and save you from the enemy that has come in against you? Listen to this. He says, I have redeemed you and I have called you by name. You are mine. Who are you to God? You're his. He's proud of you. You're his possession. He loves you, and he's going to take care of you. I love the fact that God cares not only about the spiritual, but about the natural. And I love the fact that God cares enough that he says, I am his. You are his. I want everyone to say it right now. Put your hand on your chest right now and affirm yourself and say, I belong to God. I am his precious possession. That's who you are to God. So in verse 2, and I want you to hear this 
because this is really, really good. He's talking to us. He's talking to everyone who has called on his name and has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this is powerful. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they will not overflood you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you or put the smell of smoke on you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's a good thing to remember verses like that. And it's also a good thing to be able to repeat them and speak them. We don't walk by what we see. We don't walk by what we hear. If you live by everything you hear, you're going to die by the things you hear. And if you live by everything you see, you will die because your heart will faint and your heart will give up. We don't walk by what we see and we don't walk by what we hear. And I've learned an important lesson. I've learned not to walk by what I feel because sometimes my feelings become my enemy. The Apostle Paul says, we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. And that faith is in the God who has written the plot and in the plot, he is always our protector and our savior and our dad. Amen. So whether you're great at remembering word for word verses like this, I don't think the Holy Spirit would get too messed up if you got the words a little bit out of order or you <laughs> ad-libbed and put your own words in there but you remember the plot. The plot is, he is my God and he doesn't change. He loves me. He upholds us in his hand. He will lift us up and he'll walk with us through the storms, through the waters, through the floods. He'll walk with us through the fires. Sometimes he will miraculously take us out of the fire. Other times he will miraculously cover us as we go through the fire. Right now, we might be going through the fire, but God is with us. Amen. There's only one way to know for sure, only one way. There's only one thing that will guarantee that God is with you. And that's whether or not you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. It's not about the name of your church. It's not about whether you're, you, you read your Bible. First and foremost, it's about Asking Jesus Christ to come in and be your Savior and be your Lord. You could live the finest of lives, but the finest of lives don't stack up to God's standard. Every one of us, the more honest we are, the more we realize we make mistakes and we're sinners. At times we're hypocrites. At times we lie. At times we think things we should not think. And so friend, I want to tell you, for all the mistakes that we have made and can make, there is a Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. And if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, by doing so, 
That is the one thing that will guarantee that he will always be with you in the night or in the day, in the storm or in the fire. Today, wherever you are, if you're watching from Germany, South America, Europe, if you're watching from Australia, or you're watching from any of the states of the United States of America, you must put your faith and your confidence in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as praying a childlike prayer. Because God was never into religious form or heady things. God is a God who knows how to keep it simple. If you want to ask Jesus Christ into your heart, I want you to repeat after me right now. Dear God, I believe you love me. And I thank you for loving me. God, I believe that you actually became flesh and you allowed mankind to spit on you, insult you, and beat you up so that you could identify with all the pain and all the struggles that I've had in life. And therefore, God, who came in the flesh as Jesus Christ, I accept you. I need you. I look to you. And I welcome you to come into my heart today. Come on, friend. You pray that prayer because God's listening. There isn't a thing that you can say with all of your heart that God won't hear. If he keeps a record of the wrong things, he will surely keep a record of when we finally say the right thing. Continue to pray with me. Dear Jesus, come into my life today. Forgive me of all the wrong I've ever done. I thank you, Jesus loving me and taking the beating and the judgment that was destined for me. Jesus Christ, be my Lord, be my Savior, live in me, forgive me of my sins and live your life through me from now and forever Amen Praise God Praise God Friend if you've prayed that prayer if you're in your car let us know if you're on Facebook let us know I want to send you a New Testament Bible. It has some Bible studies in it in the beginning, totally free of charge. No cost, not even the postage. I want to send you that Bible. I want to bless you with a second gift, the first gift you've just received in your heart. But let us know. Get on Facebook. Inbox us and some of our counselors will be there and they'll be able to talk to you, congratulate you, and if you're willing to, in your private inbox, inbox us your address. We will mail you a Bible. Otherwise, call the church office, Grace and Faith Church. The phone number is 813-855-8400. You may not get an operator, but you'll get a voicemail. If you leave your address, we will mail you a Bible. And to everyone who is watching today, 
I want you to press on that Facebook uh, a thumbs up, a heart, a cheer. I want you to share this message. The world needs to hear the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. One of the fantastic things about Facebook is that every one of you can be a preacher. And even if you don't have the words, take this message and share it to 10 people. Take this message and share it on your personal page. Take this message and pass it around. Not because of Pastor Rob Scarallo. No, the message isn't about me. But because the message is about the God of creation who came to earth in flesh and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is the church's opportunity to shine. More than ever, you can preach the gospel. Spread this message of hope and salvation. And to the congregation of grace and faith, and to everyone who is listening, Father, I pray your blessing and your protection on these people. That the fires of hell will not make their garments even smell of smoke. That the fires of hell and the difficulties of life will not trip them up. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you see their faith. Here they are in their living rooms, in this parking lot, having church in their cars. God, you see their faith by the power invested in each and every one of us through Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name, we release the blessing to one another. Let the people of God be blessed and say amen and amen and amen. Praise God. God bless you, church. Your pastors are praying for you. We love you. We care about you. We've been fasting for you. We've been seeking God that he will cover you and protect you. But I thank God that irrespective of what we do, he does it anyway because he's good. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Be blessed. And in Jesus' name, you are safe. God bless you.